Well, we are back. The Real Smart Podcast, Cheryl, season two. Uh, it happened so fast. And it was a little unintentional, if we're being honest. That's what happens. You know, you, you make all of these grandiose plans and then real life interferes a little bit. Absolutely. Real life, business, the Boston Marathon. Congratulations Mar- on that, by the way. Thank you. And congratulations on Gabrielle getting her first summer internship. Yes, that's been, uh, you know... <laughs> That's been a little bit uh, stressful as a parent to, to have your kid living, um, you know, somewhere else off of campus and uh, participating in the real world. But um, she's a good kid. So she is a good kid and she's officially adulting. I'm so proud. She is in so many ways. <laughs> well, we thought we would start off season two with a little bit of good news in the real estate space, at least in Georgia. Right. Mostly good news for consumers, although it helps us as realtors and closing attorneys. It will hopefully cut down on some of those panicked phone calls that we get from homeowners or from family members of property owners. Absolutely. Uh, (laughs) This is something that we talked about in December of 2022 uh, about the agreements to list, the agreements to enter into a brokerage agreement, option type agreements that we started seeing. Uh, They initially, for the most part, came out of the state of Florida through a company called MV Realty. Uh, They have been the source of uh, litigation and government action in multiple states, uh, primarily Florida, but you also have Pennsylvania and Massachusetts, uh, North Carolina, the Georgia Attorney General had been looking at it. Uh, and uh, thanks in in large part to a Georgia realtor That's right. uh, who is, also participates with our Georgia state government, uh, we now have some legislation. So shout out to Clint Crow Absolutely. for his huge role in this. But to give you guys a little reminder, these were those 40-year listing agreements that were shady, predatory, I would call them unethical, and now they are officially unlawful. So for those of you who may not have listened to that episode back in December 22, we will post a link to it in the show notes so that you can find it easily. But essentially, the gist was this. Property owners being approached by companies offering them homeowner support, offering them cash on the barrel, sometimes as little as $500. I think we talked about in that episode, we saw one that was as large as 3000 but that was very rare. I think the largest, the lowest, I think I remember seeing was around $300, oh. which was ridiculous. And uh, the promise that Envy Realty had for their, I believe they called it a homeownership benefits program. Yes. Um, very euphemistic. But I think the highest I ever saw anyone actually get paid was $1,900. Wow. So amazing. And in exchange for that payout, the property owner was inadvertently, I would say, without really having a full understanding of what they were agreeing to and what they were signing, agreeing that if they sold that property or any of their heirs sold that property in the next 40 years, they agreed to list with that company. And in the event that they did not, there would be a lien placed on the property. It would be filed at the courthouse and right. it would it would impede future sales unless that company got paid. Exactly. 
And, and it was, as you said, it wasn't just, uh, oh, I decided to sell it and use someone else, which, you know, we all have the right to choose our representation and to rethink that. Especially over 40 years. Absolutely. But since it uh, applied to any transfers of property, then uh, not only when the heirs sold it, but just the deed into the heirs would trigger a requirement to pay. And they were actively, the brokerage company was actively filing lawsuits for those transfers. That's right. So what a way to make money. I know, Cheryl... You know that a lot of my business and so many people listening to this, if you are real estate agents, your business comes from repeat and referral clients. You want people to stay loyal to you for 40 years, but I don't do that by placing a lien on someone's property. No, absolutely <laughs> not. So we, so let's get back to that good news. There is a bill that passed. It, uh, it is now law, I believe, in the state of Georgia. It, it was, is. It was signed by the governor. Uh, passed the Senate and the House. And Cheryl, why don't you give us some of the highlights? I mean, we know that now this practice is illegal, but let's talk through some of the highlights of, of what is actually being legislated now. And I do want to, before we do that, let's just give the caveat that realtors in general, the Georgia Realtors Association, realtors around the country, we don't usually get excited about legislation around private property rights. This actually, even though we are legislating what can happen, it's more on the side of the consumer. We're not generally in favor of more laws around the real estate space. Or more laws in general. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We're not generally against uh, impeding someone's right to do what they want. So at surface, you know, at face value, this might appear like it's, it might not be a positive thing, but listen to some of these details and what you'll see is it's actually protecting the consumer and their private property rights and their ownership of their home. And I would argue that it protects those very, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of realtors who are extremely ethical and who are attempting to really list these properties for people only to find that documents that the homeowner did not even understand locked them into a brokerage relationship with someone that they really did not know. Uh, They were usually, they were solicited, there were mailing solicitations, uh, there were phone solicitations that were happening. And we all get those. I mean, I get those not necessarily from MV Realty, but I get those Every time I purchase a new property, we've talked about this before on the podcast, I count up the number of mailers that I get offering me something that I don't, that I shouldn't have to pay for. Someone wants to sell me a copy of my deed for $150, which your office will send me for free. Exactly. So we get these mailings. I get mailers all the time and sometimes from realtors who are asking if I'm interested in selling my property. They don't even check to see if I'm also one of their colleagues. Um, but but these mailings are a little more um, nefarious. They are, and and it, it's not as if they've had a really good conversation with uh, with a real estate agent and they've made some thoughtful decisions. Uh, I would argue also probably say that the most time, most of the time when they were getting the actual agreements to list signed, it was a random notary showing up in their driveway to get it executed. So it wasn't the situation where you know I. I am thinking about possibly listing my property and I schedule a meeting with a realtor and we discuss it. Uh, the, the real estate agents that were involved in procuring the agreements uh, were probably more remotely speaking with the people and getting paid 500 bucks a pop to, to get them on the list. And then right. a notary would show up in their driveway to get documents executed. Right, right. So let's get to some of the nitty gritty because there's some exciting stuff in this bill. I'm excited about the extent to which 
they are so detailed in what is and is not allowed. And I think the first exciting point is the maximum length of a listing agreement or the option to list, and that is being vastly shortened. Absolutely. So what it is saying now is that under the law, and it's something that good realtors need to be aware of too, just because it may affect uh, some of their listings, but it's saying that those brokerage agreements will end at the earlier of completion of performance. So obviously I could sign a, you know, a a six month listing agreement with you right now, but if you sell my house next week, then we're done. And let's be real. It will sell next week in this market. We'll talk about that after the show. (laughs) And then, uh, or the, the, the second thing that may terminate it would be an authorized termination of the agreement. So one or both sides agreeing to mutually or unilaterally terminate would end it. Uh, and then if neither of those things have happened, the, the outlying, the outside time period for uh, both a brokerage agreement or an agreement to enter into a brokerage agreement is going to be one year from the date that it was signed. Now, that's something that we need all of our colleagues in Georgia listening to this. Your ears need to perk up right now. I know that it is not uncommon in certain price points or with someone that you know well when the market isn't as crazy as it is. Or I'm thinking maybe land property where you're working to find the right developer group to come in and do something significant with the property. There are regular listings that you would consider like long-term projects. Right. So we need you to be aware if you're listening and you practice real estate in Georgia that 12 months is the maximum legally allowable brokerage agreement time period. That doesn't mean you can't renew it for another 12. Absolutely. That just means that that standalone agreement can legally now only be 12 months. And moving forward, you know, just use that as a reason to do a super great job for your client so they'll be loyal to you and they'll sign that extension 11 months from now when you tell them it's coming up for renewal. Absolutely. So that will curtail a lot of these actions because a lot of the problems with these obviously uh, were the generational, two-generation length Mm -hmm. in time for them. Um, But there are other things in the bill that are very, very helpful because, uh, as Maura alluded to, what was happening with those agreements to list that were being uh, signed was, you know, typically when we enter into brokerage agreements, those are documents that are, that the client has the right to have a copy of the moment that it's executed. Mm-hmm. and that the brokerage must keep a copy of for a certain length of time under all of our various laws. Uh, but what was happening with these agreements to list is they were actually being recorded into the county records uh, so that they would come up at the time that we were running a title search uh, in order to convey the property. And that is also something that this law took aim at And it said that a brokerage uh, engagement agreement or an option to enter into a brokerage engagement agreement cannot be recorded um, into the county records. It cannot purport, which means to try and say, even if not accurate, that it creates what we call a covenant that runs with the land where it attaches to the property instead of what our normal brokerage agreements are, which are, quite frankly, private agreements between people that relate to a piece of property. Exactly. That makes a huge deal because I think the place that these have become so problematic, in spite of the the problem of the time period, is the fact that when it gets attached in the county record, it is now something that, that is is you find that when you run a title search, it triggers an event, like you said, when when the deed passes hands, whether it is a sale or an estate. 
Um, and I would assume, too, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe we don't know because this is too specific, but what about when you do a, a quit claim deed? You know, let's say your spouse dies and it's the property is probated just to you. Would that also have triggered potentially a payment to MV Realty? It would have under their original model. Um, they tried to adjust it over time because, you know, they were getting attacked by like six attorney generals around the country. Good to know. Um, but it was definitely getting triggered with anything that was considered a transfer. Um, I and will, what about a refinance? Uh, potentially, just because... <sighs> It, 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 well, what what would happen in the refinance situation, and it did, which is, is that it's still something that's out there. It's an obligation. At the point where my old loan gets paid off and my new loan takes effect, my new loan is what we call junior, entitled to that obligation. So that was superior to the lender's interest, and the lender's not going to accept that. Right. It would have been an exception on their lender title policy, which they will never accept at the end of the day. Right. Now, I did speak with... Um, um, one title company, um, and I could talk to three others, and I guarantee you that I would get the exact same answer. Um, but I, I picked up the phone uh, and spoke with uh, one of the underwriters, one of the state managers, actually, for one of the title companies. And I said, you know, we now have a law. It's now illegal. Um, but I am going to assume that we can't just ignore these if we see them in the records. And and I will tell you that that is still going to be the case. So if there is something out there, we do have to contend with it. And my suggestion for all of the agents out there is, first of all, uh, I cannot tell you that every closing attorney is going to be aware of the bill as passed. Um, you know, they, they particularly in smaller areas where they may not have run up against the issue. Right. Um, and the underwriters are not going to ignore them. Uh, my personal suggestion, and I say this as a closing attorney and a member of the Georgia Real Estate Commission and a member of the Georgia Association of Realtors, is that the, the option when these things have been filed by someone who holds a real estate license would be to contact them and suggest very... Uh, directly that they release these things out of the county records, that they sign whatever cancellation uh, document that the closing attorney and the title company are going to require, or the homeowner will have no choice but to contact the Georgia Real Estate Commission or contact the Association of Realtors uh, or contact the Georgia Attorney General mm. and pursue it that way. So it's not as if we can make the things that are out there disappear. Right. Um, it's not as if we can just ignore those things, but I think now we have a law, so now we can very nicely suggest that they, they clear this up for us uh, because we as closing attorneys and as title companies, uh, we, we can't make the legal determination as to whether this document may be a little bit different or may be defensible or this law could get struck down by a judge or any of those other things. So we really have to use the, you use the law as a hammer, really, right. to, to go after the people who filed it. And talking to members of our governmental affairs staff at the Georgia Realtors last week, it was interesting, you know, they were very clear in presenting this to one of our member connect summits um, and to some of our membership that it, it can't be retroactive because that's not how the law works, right? right? So these agreements, when they were signed prior to this law, they were not illegal. We can argue all day long that they were sketchy and unethical and, you know, a bad practice by bad actors, uh, but it, it was not illegal at the time. So 
we can't retroactively go back and force their hands. Right. However, as you said, we can strongly suggest, especially if the people involved are realtors or licensed real estate agents, and it's important to note that they not they weren't always. It wasn't just MV Realty. That's correct. There were other companies and there were individuals who were practicing this who are not real estate licensees. I did see the vast majority of them had someone and and because they were agreements to list and because you need a real estate license in order to list the property, then um, these companies that were oftentimes not located in the state of Georgia enlisted someone within the state of Georgia right. who held a Georgia real estate license. Uh, but you are correct that you may have not on real estate people. They cannot enter into agreements, obviously, to list property, but they can enter into some other type of, you know, shared ownership, right. lien, whatever sorts of situations as well. Yeah. And, and one of the other interesting points that our governmental affairs staff made was that they believe there's going to be some kind of an effort to enter into a settlement, some kind of settlement to convince all these um, shady bad actors to go away and it would be made in their best interest to agree to sign those cancellations. Probably in exchange for not being actively investigated by the Georgia Attorney General. And for other, if they are real estate licensees or realtors, for being actively investigated very much in general. Right having their files audited, being looked at more closely. Being the subject of news reporting, because I guarantee you uh, that the the news agencies would love this as a local story. So that's another possible hammer to use right. against people. Right. That you're going to call one of the consumer investigatory reporters. Right. Uh, who do such a great job trying to ferret out this sort of stuff mm -hmm. uh, and making them the source of a news report. Right. Now, there was another exciting piece of this bill. And... You know, we've talked a little bit about all of the solicitation. When my iPhone tells me that a call is a spam risk, I just don't answer. But I know that a lot of times it's those and those calls. And a few times that I have answered, it has been a real estate agent or a realtor asking me if I'm interested in selling my house. But I don't really answer all of those calls. My mother answers every call. <laughs> so I think that there's a demographic of the population that's very susceptible. That demographic who remembers landlines, who answered the phone every time it rang. They had phones before caller ID, before we had you know smartphones that really can tell you if it's telemarketer or a political call, that piece of the population that is answering those calls. But also the mailers is where I think there's an interesting, and this is what I was mentioning earlier when I talked about the extreme level of detail that was put into this law. And Cheryl, why don't you tell us what this law requires mailers that are soliciting possible listings or options to list or shared ownership or any of that Let's talk about what's going to be required on these mailers. And it also includes, because this law was packaged up with another bill that is taking aim at some of the wholesaler situations, and so it also applies to people who may have an interest in buying the property. And what it says is that it has to have, at the top of the document, um, this, and this is in all caps, this is a solicitation. The sender is contacting you to inquire as to your interest in selling your property or other real estate. You are under no obligation to respond. On the front of the envelope, if it has an envelope, it also has to say, solicitation, you are under no obligation to open or respond. Um, it has to be these notices, this information about the fact that it is a solicitation, has to be at least 
is big in font size as the remainder of the document, but in no case can be less than 16 point type. It also has to be displayed in a quote unquote, distinctly contrasting color. So it has to be a different color. It has to be large. Uh, it has to be in all capital letters. It has to be at least 16 point. And you know what this made me think of when I read this and when you and I were discussing it right before we started recording? It made me think of the obligation of businesses to post those COVID warning signs. If you remember, signs needed to be placed in the front door or the front window of a, a restaurant or a store, and it had to be white paper with black type, and the type had to be at least one inch tall. They were very specific because they didn't want any business owner to get away with posting the message in, you know, three point font at the, you know, bottom of their French door, you know, with seven other stickers around it. It had to be very specific. And I, I think the fact that they put this much thought into a distinctly contrasting color, at least 16 point font, but everything else can't then be 16. It has to be larger than everything else. It also sort of makes me think of real estate signs and the requirement that the brokerage name and phone number be at least as big and at least as bold as the agent's name and, for, and phone number. Exactly. The size, prominence, and frequency, and the fact that we did that within the real estate laws. It also reminds me of under can spam the requirements when you're sending out emails mm -hmm. of you have to include an opt out that is obvious to the person. You have to include the fact that this is an advertisement. You have to include a physical address where people can locate you. Uh, so all of those sorts of requirements where we know how people game the system and now we have to write the laws in order to fight the game. Yep. Is there anything else that we need to know about this? Um... I, I would say to any agent who sees anything or gets anything, I think we should have, um, we, we can put our contact information in here. Both Maura and I like to collect things, um, <laughs> you know, things that have come up over time. I use actual documents that are out there as part of um, uh, the education pieces that yes. I do when I'm teaching to real estate agents. Um, I'm certainly willing to help and give suggestions for anything. Absolutely. You're, you are not bothering me to, to reach out uh, regardless of where you are. Um, I get copies of things from agents in other states. Sure. I always find other state information and the things that they're doing uh, immensely helpful. That's right. Um, so, you know, it's not only if you see something, say something, but if you see something, share it so that the rest of us can see it too. Absolutely. And like Cheryl said, we'll put our contact information in the show notes. We are happy. If you have a question, if you have a client who's been affected by this issue um, or anything really that you hear on the podcast, we, we would love to hear from you. Exactly. But also we would love to help. It's one of the things that we have built our businesses on. We've built our our trust network with our colleagues. And it's something that makes us very happy because it's a way that we give back. Exactly. Um, I taught a class uh, in the last couple of weeks and I had another person who I know is a member of the Georgia Forums Committee and I know is a, a an instructor and he attended my class. Uh, and I loved having him there. I think the more we all help each other, the better this industry is as a whole. And don't we wish that was the sentiment more often? Absolutely. A little more helping each other, a little less viewing every single person as your competition, when really we could build each other up, make the industry stronger, make consumers respect us even more to the level that we deserve for exactly. the work that we do and the responsibility that we have. So 
I want to say one more time, thank you so much to Clint Crow. This this piece of legislation is one that is going to make a tremendous impact, even if it's not for the majority of the population, just for the people who have been preyed upon by these companies with with the, the situations that we've described today. Thank you so much, Clint. We appreciate you. And I will say it is not just the people who have been preyed upon, but all of the people that will never be because of the work that he did That's right. and the work that our Georgia legislature did. Because, you know, now we are a state who is unfriendly to these types of transactions. And what you will find with these companies that are doing this is they're trying to find the states where they can operate most easily. And Georgia is no longer one of those states. And if you think that they're not looking at the state laws, the existing state laws, to figure out where they can do this type of business, you know, that that clearly was their their MO from the beginning. Absolutely. So we have some exciting stuff coming up with our second season of the podcast, Cheryl. So many things to talk about. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about tax appeals. We are. We're going to be talking about how to appeal your own property taxes, but also realtors, how to reach out and have those conversations with your clients, what you should and shouldn't be doing, and how to be one more value add in your clients' lives. Absolutely. What else do we have coming up? We're also going to be talking about, along the same lines as as the 40-year listing agreements as far as things that are disturbing to real estate, to property values. We're going to be talking about institutional buyers, the effect they've had on the Atlanta real estate market. We're back in the swing of it now and we're excited that you're listening. Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye.